Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is looking around the NBA. So Jalen and I picked two teams that we're going to look at and see how they are doing at this point in the NBA season. So Jalen, who is one team that you're looking at right now? So the first thing that I have to touch on is the Phoenix Suns, who are like literally on fire so far this year. And we both anticipated that they were going to be a dangerous team in the Western Conference with the acquisition of Chris Paul, with getting guys like DeAndre Ayton back into the lineup full time versus last year. He missed significant time earlier on in the year, being able to see guys like Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson develop like we had the anticipation coming into this year that Chris Paul was the missing link that the Phoenix Suns needed in order to be a playoff caliber basketball team. Well, right now they're first in the Western Conference above teams like the Clippers, Lakers, Jazz, Trailblazers, anybody that you would think is going to be a serious player in the postseason um, down the stretch this year, they are in front of them right now. Not by a heavy margin, but 6-2 and two is definitely a great way for a team like this to kick off the year considering the fact that this is a team that hasn't been very used to winning over the last couple of years. I think something else to really take heed of is that they're not doing it against cupcake teams either. I mean, they have the two wins against Sacramento, and I, or they have the one win over Sacramento because they both traded uh, games. But they've also got wins over the, the Mavericks, Pelicans, Jazz, Nuggets, and the Raptors. The Raptors one is looking a little less impressive by the day because the Raptors are not very impressive and not getting any better by the day, unfortunately. But overall, from a talent perspective, they've definitely faced off with some great teams. And I think another thing to point out is just how they're doing what they're doing. Because this is like the definition of a pure group effort. Devin Booker, 21 points. Mikael Bridges, 14 points. Chris Paul, 13 points. DeAndre Ayton, 13 points. Jay Crowder, 11. Cam Johnson, 13. Dario Sarge, 11. Like, they legitimately, I just listed off seven guys on their roster averaging double figures this year. Seven. In the playoffs, that's typically what your rotation gets narrowed down to is about seven to eight guys. If you tell me throughout the regular season they're already defining their seven to eight man rotation heading into the playoffs, that is significantly significantly important and I think that's also a very significant upside for this team because they look lethal and they're doing it as a unit instead of leaning on one specific player yeah and Phoenix is almost the true definition of a rising team because this team like we mentioned in the contender or pretender episode we kind of thought that they were too early to be a contender it was too early to see if this team was going to be good enough to be a contender, but now it's six and two and atop the Western conference, arguably the most difficult conference right now. And in the past 15 years, it seems like the Phoenix suns are really staking their claim for being 
the best in the Western Conference. My team that I'm focusing on is the Orlando Magic, who are off to a strong start at 6-2. and two. But the main question right now is how will Markel Fultz's injury impact the team? Markel Fultz had just signed a three-year, $50 million contract extension, and it looked like he was about to have a great season. He was averaging 14 points a game, which is a career high for him, and six assists. He seemed to be the answer for Orlando at the point guard position. And I feel like even though Orlando is a great team right now, I feel like it is going to be hard to try to fill the role that's left by Markel Fultz. Does that mean Cole Anthony gets to start? I kind of feel like this is a chance for him to shine. And I feel like regardless, I'm expecting him to get more minutes and I want to see more production from Cole Anthony and Michael Carter-Williams at the point guard position. I feel like we also kind of have to mention that Jonathan Isaac, who has been a great asset to this team, has been out because of an injury that he suffered in the bubble. So the Magic are now down two starters, but there's still some positives to take away from the 6-2 and two start. Evan Fournier is giving you close to 15 points a game. Terrence Ross is giving you solid production off the bench. Nikola Vucevic is still averaging a double-double this season, and he's contributing on both sides of the floor. And Aaron Gordon is improving and becoming a dominant presence on both sides of the floor. I want to see if Orlando can continue this impressive start without two of their best players. Yeah, and I mean, that's, you know, I, I this is one of those teams on the contrary to a team like Phoenix. This is one of those teams where I think they've taken advantage of circumstance because outside of the Philadelphia, outside of the Philadelphia 76ers, and I guess you could say the Miami Heat, who I would assume it really we're only down on them because of the slow start they've had, but we know they're a good team. Outside of the Miami Heat and the Phoenix Suns, they really haven't played anybody. Two back-to-back wins against the Wizards, big win over the Thunder, um, then lose to the 76ers, get another win um, against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and then follow that up with another big win over the Cleveland Cavaliers. So it's like their main wins are – over the Cavs, the Thunder, and the Wizards. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, they beat the Heat. So, I mean, there was that, but that was also an early season thing as well. So, I think with the Magic, the biggest thing that we have to take away from them is, like you said before, how do they function without Markel Fultz? We we always, at least I'm going to say for me personally, looking at this team, always tended to kind of mock a point guard to this team when NBA draft time came because it seemed like their biggest hole. You mean to tell me now that you're going to have to rely on a guy out the gate to develop and that guy has to be Cole Anthony, who I think can steer the ship, but I think he's a year away really from being a league starting starting, uh, quarterback for your or offense in terms of being a guy who can stand at the helm and really direct traffic, really help guys, you know, get to their spots. He's not really the kind of guy I look to. I use the word quarterback because I feel like he's not the guy who can draw up, you know, the plays necessary or help put guys in the spots that they need to be able to go get buckets. I think Markel Fultz does that naturally within the flow of the offense. He's not a guy who's going to average a lot of assists, but just his style of play 
puts guys in a position to the point that he gets a lot of hockey assists and a lot of dump offs. So I think that's huge. I think the other thing that you touched on, which hurts my heart the most, is obviously that Jonathan Isaac hasn't been able to play. I think this is a guy who could have been a defensive player of the year candidate legitimately in the top three in the um in the award rankings last year. And I think that he had something he could have really built on this season. I think the magic, we have to be careful because this is the team every year in the first round of the playoffs that loves to catch the universe by storm only to kind of simmer down a bit. So I think similar to the playoff situation during the regular season, I'm reluctant to put a lot of stock in six wins when a lot of those victories are over subpar teams at best. I will say that Cleveland is a better team so far this year than they've been in years past, but still. Yeah. And the magic have sort of thrived early in the season. And like you mentioned, they've gotten a lot of wins so far against the Cavs and the Heat and the Thunder. But I feel like this is a Magic team that can really accelerate toward the top of the Eastern Conference if they keep up the strong start that they are having right now. Jalen, who is another team that you're focusing on? Man, it's my Washington Wizards. And literally, I'm going to avoid rant mode because – that's one of those things that can make this podcast easily more like make it way longer than it, than it needs to be. But to put things in perspective, the other day on Wednesday, um, we're recording this on the eighth. This was on the sixth. Bradley Beal dropped 60 points, seven rebounds, five assists. Russell Westbrook had 20 points eight rebounds, and 12 assists. This team scored 136 points in regulation. And they still lost to the Philadelphia 76ers, 141 to 136. I'm pausing because I need that to really sink in for a second. That is, that is, that is crazy. For Bradley Beal to go for 60 points and they still lose by five, they lost by two possessions despite Bradley Beal erupting offensively. Their backcourt alone went for 80 points in the game. Like I said beforehand, they scored 136 in regulation yet the 76ers were able to score 141 in that same regulation game. This is a team. Here's where, here's where the ranty part comes. This is a team led by Scott Brooks and over the last couple of seasons has been significantly disappointing. I think over the last couple of seasons, we've gotten used to having these slow starts Two and six with two all-star caliber guards in the backcourt with a guy in Denny Avdia who's already kind of showed that he's an NBA pro caliber player. Thomas Bryant, who has had significant output outputs in multiple games so far this year, not just like little flashes. He's legit been a contributor this year. There's no way you can tell me 
that Rui Hachimura not playing for us is the difference between being a four and four basketball team and a two and six basketball team. I refuse to believe that a guy who in 25 minutes a game this season alone in the four games he played averaged 12.8 points per game and his presence is the missing area that tells us, hey, if we had Rui, we would be four and four or something else. Like that, that is that is unsettling for me to have to even try to convince myself of that. This team, they've got pieces. Beal, 34.3 points per game. Russell, Russell Westbrook, 20.5 points per game. Thomas Bryant, like I said beforehand, career high, 17 points per game. Davis Bertans, maybe he's the odd man out with this because he just got big boy paid and is averaging less than 12 points per game. Maybe that's where the issue comes from, is we just gave a dude big bank and he's not shooting the way he was before. So far this season, he is not really putting the ball in the basket, so to speak. He is, it's not looking too good for Bertans. He's, I mean, he's shooting 32.8% from three. That's like basically below league average or like around league average, which is not what got him paid. So unless you're telling me, unless our big conclusion is that Davis Bertans is giving us the auto Porter effect of get your bread after you shoot lights out. And all of a sudden you're a guy who becomes a trade chip. Otherwise looking at this team, it still looks like a roster that should at least be somewhere in the mix for the eighth or ninth at ninth spot in good position to play for the play in tournament down the stretch of the year. But this team doesn't feel like that. And that's kind of where I have to get to my conclusion that this might go on a lot on a limb and maybe it's not wizards fans might even agree with me, but it's a two parter. And this is where I feel like maybe it goes out on a limb. Not only do I think you get rid of Scott Brooks, I think it's Becky Hammond time. I think it's Becky Hammond time. I think it's a per- I think that's an individual who's been in line for a position uh, a potential coaching position in men's professional basketball for years now. Former WNBA All-Star has been with the San Antonio Spurs for years through their championship runs. Gives a completely different flavor and completely different voice both quite literally and personality wise to this franchise and literally would be the 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 sign or show the signification that this team is and needs to move in a different stronger direction so I think the Wizards we're gonna see how it plays out I doubt that they're gonna move on from Scott because I think that's the only thing keeping Russ at bay. <laughs> I think that's one of the only things that made them comfortable with trading for Russ. But I think come season's end, Russ a little bit further on in his contract, he'll have one less year in his contract to worry about. Bradley Beal is a potential guy that might come up in trade, in trade talks again, which he's been in for like, what, the last three years? 
I think this is a team that needs to make big moves in their their positions of power because I think that the players are not the issue anymore. I actually thought that this team could contend in the East as soon as they got Russell Westbrook, which is why I favored the Washington Wizards when we discussed who won the trade of John Wall and Russell Westbrook because I feel like the Washington Wizards got significantly better by acquiring Russell Westbrook. But it's clear to me and it's clear to you, Jalen, that it's more than just the players. I do feel like Scott Brooks is on the hot seat and I would love to see Becky Hammond coach the Washington Wizards. I think she could be a great fit for that team and I think she could do great things for that team. My second team that I'm looking at is the Memphis Grizzlies and the Memphis Grizzlies are struggling right now with no John Morant or Jaron Jackson Jr. And I feel like if this two and six start tells you anything, it's that the Grizzlies need both John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. Jaron Jackson Jr. hasn't played so far this season, but John Morant has played in three games. And he has an effect on the Grizzlies on both sides of the floor. But mainly on the offensive side, in his first game of the season, John Morant put up 44 points and nine assists against the Spurs. That was his first game. His second game, he puts up 28-7 and seven against the Hawks. These two teams, the Spurs and the Hawks, are playoff caliber teams. And then he only put up seven points against the Nets because he got injured in that game. I feel like Memphis is really missing, or is especially missing, John Morant and Jerry Jackson Jr. on the defensive side as they are two of their strongest defenders. And we haven't even mentioned that Justice Winslow has been out injured as well. And I feel like if Winslow was healthy, he would be beneficial shooting in the mid-range and from three. Memphis is really trying to hold down the fort. And I know that there's some positive signs to all of this. I think Desmond Bain is a solid three-point shooter, something that he was really known for coming out of the draft. Jonas Valanciunas is a double-double machine, and, and the bench has had flashes of potential with guys like Brandon Clark, Tyus Jones, and Desmond Bain, who I mentioned earlier. I feel like if John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Justice Winslow get healthy, we might be talking about a different Memphis Grizzlies team this year. But I feel like until that time comes, the bench is going to have to step up to win a lot of these games. I mean, I think so. I'm gonna pick up where you left, where you left off. Not necessarily the bench per se, but specifically Justice Winslow. Right? This is a guy I told you about last season that I was like, when they when Memphis got Justice Winslow, I was like, fuck it, fuck it. Like you might as well go ahead and book it. He's either their backup point guard or he's their starting small forward. It's not debatable. Brandon Clark's minutes will be reduced, or he will be playing power forward full time for now on or their small ball center for now on. If Justice Winslow gets on the court, Memphis is instantly better because we saw not even a year beforehand prior to his injury that when Eric Spolcher went out on a limb and played him at point guard next to Josh Richardson, who now is pretty much playing next to one of the most elite point guards and Luka Doncic over in Dallas, we saw 
that Justice Winslow was a 27, 8, and 7 guy. 27, 8, and 7. You were about to get a 27, 8, and 7 talent infused into your roster. And unfortunately, we still have not seen him play. That's not to say that if he does play that he's going to be 27, 8, and 7. But it's to say that you have another, dare I say, all-star caliber player on your team that also, mind you, this is the most important thing that I think needs to be touched on. That is a ball handler. Like, notice, you put a lot of stock in the fact that John Morant was injured and that also Triple J was injured. Triple J is a guy who, the, the thing that hurts about that is even if Triple J were not injured, I think that his play would be significantly undermined by the fact that John Morant would not be his pick and roll partner. Because I personally do not see anybody else at the guard spot that can create for their big man the way John Morant does for Triple J. I don't trust Tyus Jones to do that. I'm not going to ask rookie Desmond Bain, who we who I'm sure they mainly picked for his three-point three shooting and physical attributes that could probably contribute defensively. I'm not asking Grayson Allen to do it. I'm not putting the ball in Dylan Brooks' hands to somehow become a five a five to seven assists per game guy. You know what I mean? That that's the so the double whammy is you don't have John Morant, you don't have a guy in Justice Winslow. You can't even maximize Triple J's talents if Jaron is on the court. And the fact that Jaron's not on the court, it makes it even worse. You know what I mean? In terms of their ability to play with one another. Now, the bright, the brightest spot about this team right now isn't even a young guy. It's Jonas Valanciunas, 15 and 11, with two assists and a block per game. Ryan, we know in this league that you cannot win with your center being the best player on your team, or at least not by his lonesome. Now, you could say Dylan Brooks and Kyle Anderson averaging 16 and 15 points per game. Brandon Clark, 11 points per game. That's great and all. But John Moran was averaging 26.3 points per game, six assists, and two rebounds, bro. Like, this is a guy who went off. Maybe the numbers are a bit skewed by that 44-point outburst, but this is a guy who in year two I was expecting to be floating around 23 to 27 points per game while still flirting with near double-digit assists. And that's now out the window, at least for another couple of weeks. So, man, Memphis, man. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, if John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Justice Winslow are healthy, what do you believe the potential of the Memphis Grizzlies will be this season? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.